Welcome to HeCast, the official podcast of He Changed It. As always, I'm your host, Mike Chisholm. As always, I'm excited to be here to have fantastic conversations with uh, people surrounding men's mental health and life in general. I am extremely excited for today's podcast because uh, the gentleman that I get to talk to is actually the father of one of my best friends. Um, and, and, and you know, it's neat talking to friends, parents and, and whatnot. That's always been a dynamic that I've enjoyed uh, growing up. But I can't say that I have had um, uh, the, the, the deep respect that I have for today's guest that I have had for other friends, parents, if that makes any sense. Uh, the gentleman we're going to talk to today um, is, is, is a, a leader in many ways. Uh, he's also an attorney. And I want to talk to him about some life experience things. And, and, and uh, um, really, at the end of the day, I want to talk about integrity. And um, I want to start the conversation uh, with Bob today by talking about the moment where I really uh, a lot of the, the the cement may have been have been have been wet, uh, but it dried in the story that I'm about to talk to today. So the gentleman is uh, Mike Brody. If you remember Mike Brody from episode one of of He Cast, uh, it's actually his dad. So Bob Levin, thank you very much for taking time out of your day to be here. My pleasure. I want to talk much. to you about. Th- I'm glad, and it is your pleasure. And you, <laughs> right from the beginning, um, ever since you've heard about the project of what Candy's building, you've always had this uh, in, intense curiosity towards it and yes. and support. And we just appreciate that very yep. much. So thank you very much for being our cheerleader. You're very uh, welcome. Uh, with what we're doing, he changed it. Um, the first time I met you and had an actual uh, longer conversation with you, and like I say, that cement drying, um, it had to do with a poker game. And I want to and I want to remind you of something that happened. I don't even know if you'll remember it or not. Uh, we were around the poker table at your son's house. Yeah. We were playing poker and uh, some drinks were flowing for some of the players and things like that. And and um, if you've ever played Texas Hold'em, it's a, it's a game where you get a couple cards and then cards come out and uh, people are betting and all that sort of stuff. And um, Bob was in a hand with uh, one of our uh, a gentlemen around the table. I don't know if he's a gentleman or not, but and uh, Bob got a card on the last the river. The last card came up. And the gentleman looked down and Bob won the hand and he's taking the chips and he goes, and I'm going to, I'm going to say something here that I should probably disclaim. Okay. I'm about to say something as a quote. All right. He said, boy, oh boy, you sure Jewed me out of that one. And Bob stayed nice and quiet. And he just looked at the guy and he said, we don't say that here. Notice I'm letting the tension do its thing right now. That's what it did around the poker table. And, and he said, and the guy was taken aback and he said, what? And Bob said, we don't say those words here. And, um, I, I cannot articulate the respect that I had for you being able to be, you know, a stranger in a strange land. You're at your, your kid's table with your kid's friends and all that sort of stuff. And the way that you were kind of able to, to rise up and say that. And um, I just appreciated that integrity beyond anything. Do you even remember that happening? Do you remember that story? Vaguely. Now that you <laughs> now that you tell it, I do recall it. Yes. Have you had to say that a lot in your life? Well, I'm not going to say a lot, uh, but I am going to say that someone who was brought up Jewish, yeah. uh, my dad was of Russian Jewish descent. Both his parents emigrated from Russia in the early 1900s mm-hmm. when the pogroms were happening in Russia. 
So they moved and my, he Purges essentially, right? Yeah. 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 So the, the Jews got out of that area of Russia, which is around Kiev, that area. Yeah. And a lot of them ended up in uh, Manitoba because it was similar to the steppes of uh, Russia. Mm. And uh, my dad was a physician and at the hospital, he fell in love with this lovely blonde nurse who was of Scandinavian descent. So on my mom's side of the family, um, they're uh, Swedish and Norwegian. So I've had the very good fortune of being uh, raised not in one particular religion or culture, but yeah. having the benefit of, of seeing both. So um, ever since I was a kid, my parents taught me to respect everybody, religion, race. You know. yep. Nobody was allowed to say anything racist in our house. So I, I grew up that way. And when I became a professional and uh, lived in Kelowna, started working as a young lawyer and got involved in the community, I got involved with a lot of local community, uh, Kelowna things, nothing to do with religion or race. Mm -hmm. But one activity I did become involved in, and maybe it's because I'm a barrister, so I stand up for the rights of people. I love that word. That's a classic word that doesn't get used Barrister, yes, the Barrister, yeah. The, that's the old British word for attorney. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, uh, to make a long story short, I was kind of a natural to get involved in anti-racism. Right. So one of the things I got involved in in Kelowna with the uh, Jewish community of British Columbia and nationally was anti-racism. And we had oh, one very virulent uh, racist, a guy by the name of Charles Scott, who was here in, you know, I think it was the 90s. So it tells you a bit about my age. <laughs> but I actually um, was the community leader on behalf of the Jewish community to deal with this guy. Yeah. And I can happily say that the support of the Kelowna community was fabulous. Uh, he was recruiting young, uh, mostly young males at schools, you know, the kind of sort of needy kid that you would recruit for that. And so we got the cooperation of Mike Roberts, who was mm -hmm. the principal of uh, Rutland Senior Secondary. He was my principal. He was my Is rugby, that right? He's my rugby coach. He's a great guy. I went on a tour to England with that guy. Wow. Yeah. Small world. Absolutely. Great guy. Fantastic guy. So he supported it. Um, the local churches, because yeah. at that time, the Jewish community in Kelowna didn't have their own building. And we were meeting at St. Michael's Anglican Parish Hall. That was where we met. We called it St. Moishe's. <laughs> And uh, the spiritual uh, melting pot. Yes. <laughs> and the, you know, the, I guess, uh, is he called the archbishop? But anyway, the reverend who was in charge yep. there. Uh, and I can't remember his name right now. I apologize to him. He was wonderfully supportive, as was the whole Anglican parish, like throughout BC. And the RCMP were fabulous. They stepped in to do what they could. And CHBC, the local TV station, was also very supportive. So to make a long story short, all of those people ganged up on this guy, stopped him from recruiting at the schools. He tried to break a camera. The RCMP charged him. So basically- So what was his deal? He was trying to, to recruit people to his cause of, yes. of, of promoting racism. Yes. They're just- White pride, white power, that kind of a thing? Exactly. Okay. Anti-black, anti-Jewish. Today, they'd be anti-Asian. Yeah. Uh, so basically, we stopped him in his tracks. He, he left Kelowna, sort of unsuccessful. That's mind-blowing to me, okay? So I'm a Gen Xer. I would have been, I would have been in one of Mike Roberts' class, or he would have been running my, my, my uh, rugby coaching. He'd be a rugby coach running the, the, the team drills and things like that at that time. 
but there was literally a modern day old school uh, type of racist trying to promote that agenda. Mm-hmm. I've never really seen that very much in my life. And, and I hear some of these, you know, like the, the slur that I mentioned at the beginning of this podcast. And sometimes we don't even know our history, but that some things are uh, offensive and whatnot. You have a lot of uh, depth of experience mm-hmm. with these things um, going back to, you know, to the sixties all the way up till now. Um are you aware of what's going on in the culture when it comes to things like tolerance and it comes to like cancel culture, it comes to all of these things that, that are, that, that are going on with free, free speech and what racism is now compared to what it used to be? Well, I'm, I'm certainly not as actively involved now, but I just see it as a, yeah. as a citizen of Canada. Sure. But what I can tell you from my own experience and, uh, and it's interesting because my wife would also occasionally get that. My wife loves to have Mike's mom. Yeah. Loves to have garage sales. She just loves having garage sales. So uh, usually at the beginning of a garage sale, before the announced time, within a half an hour, an hour before, these kind of dealers would show up. You know, right. They know not to do that to her garage sales anymore because she just says, go away. It hasn't started yet. <laughs> but one time, a couple of times, people have said to her, you know, you know, you're trying to Jew me or something. And she um, just she does the same as I did. She just looks at them and says, you know, to a Jewish person, that's a very offensive remark. Same as if, you know, you were black and somebody said, I don't know, I can't compare to others. But I, all I can say is that works. And what mm-hmm. I learned in my anti-racism training and, act, and found to be effective is the best way to deal with racism is education. Yes. Because we're not born racist. Kids come out innocent. Adults turn them into racists. Right. So if you can open their mind to, you know, you know black people aren't automatically going to hurt you. Jewish people aren't going to automatically take your money. You know, Asian people aren't going to give you COVID. Whatever the stereotype yeah, is. If you, Asian people aren't going to give you COVID. <laughs> if you can just get into their head and show them that this is like not a nice way to be. Yeah. Most people respond very positively. There's no point yelling at them, getting angry at them. You just got to connect with them. I, uh, and I knew I wanted to get into this topic with you today because of, of your breadth of experience and, and what you've seen in your life. Um, because right now we're at a place where many times if somebody doesn't like, and I, I think of younger people and I mean, I'm, I'm a Gen Xer, but I'm looking back now I'm 45 and I'm looking back at the people in their twenties and you know, the idealistic, uh, youth, the idealistic, the university crowd, that, that group there. And I mean, they've always made their mark on their particular generation, you know, yours was, it was in the sixties and, and, and you saw, uh, you know, the culture shifting ideals, the hippies. the hippies. Absolutely. Sex I was going to, I wasn't going to say it, but you said it. So <laughs> I'll say it. Yeah. And, 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 um, you challenged the ideals of, of the generation before, you know, the Bob Hope generation as, as baby boomers, that's what you mm. did. Gen Xers, that's what we did too. Yes. And, and I look at this generation that's, uh, the university crowd now and, um, I don't know if it's as we get older, we're supposed to be concerned about the next generation. I don't know if that's a thing and I'm just experiencing it, but God, man, to me, the answer is more words, not less words. And when I see a generation who, oh, you said something that's racist, I'm going to get mad at you and I'm not going to say anything to you. That to me does not lead to solution for a topic as sensitive as what you were just saying. Your instincts are correct. Your instincts are hundred percent correct. You, you have to communicate with people. It's, it's born of ignorance. Ignorance and, you know, bad example. So if you can overcome the ignorance and that takes words, 
that takes calm words, then your instincts are correct. That's exactly the way to deal with it. Yeah. I, um, I appreciate the fact that you've been a beacon for these things. Um, another thing I appreciate about you is, is as a professional in the community, you have always shown the example um, that it's important to give back to your community. That's something that that rings true for me. That's something I've tried to do is I've, I've you know, and this isn't anything about me or being braggy or anything like that. I, I believe that if I want to be part of a community that's thriving, I need to help make it thrive. Whether that's shop local, whether that's help, uh, you know, some organizations within the community that are trying to solve problems, that kind of a thing. Is that something that that you had mentors that taught to you or was that something that was instinctual? Because you've been a part oh. of a lot of stuff in yeah, our community. That's a good question. And yeah, I've bumped into you at a couple of fundraising yeah. events and actually asked you to help me with one <laughs> um, because you're good at it. Um, I don't know how I, I, I guess I was all, like I say, I was always taught to, you know, be part of your community, to give back to your community. And actually, yes, as a young lawyer, I was shown that by my mentors that, yes, you must get involved in the community. You know, it's just, it's just a good thing to do. and. Every community experience that I've in, been involved in, boards that I've sat on to yeah, help, yeah. Um, like you, as we've discussed, is, has been a positive experience. So I'm very happy for every one of them. And it's ranged from, there used to be a Sunshine Theater here, which was wonderful, Yeah. Um, to uh, the Bridge Youth and Family Services, which is the long-term one. So, okay, let's several, go, let's, 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 the arts. But then also yep. to substance stuff, stuff that yep. tears families apart. Like you've really seen yep. when it comes to giving back, you've seen uh, all sorts of different ways you can give back. Yeah. And school district 23, I was on the, uh, I'm just going to call it the anti-racism committee, which had a lot to do, of course, with uh, racism against natives or yes. bias against natives. Yeah. And that's still a very active uh, committee. Um, I'm not on it anymore, but it is very active. So that's, that's a few of the, and yeah, community involvement, I think is important. I also think, you know, just on a more practical side, it's important for a young professional to get out there and get in the community. You know, you meet people. I never sat on any of these boards as their lawyer. That's just not what you do. I'm a board member. They have to get their own lawyer. Right. But it gives you a perspective to have some idea what the lawyer is doing. Yes. Um, and, and yeah, it's, I've tried intentionally to make it a broad experience. What you just said is very interesting because uh, there's a lot of uh, potentially young professionals that are listening to what we're talking about here. So, so if I'm hearing you right, um, resist the urge to network is kind of where you're, you're kind of coming from. I mean, you don't go onto a board so you could be there, whatever that has to do with your profession. That's not why you do it. Um, you know, you do it to take what you knowledge you have, whether it's from your profession or your lived experience or whatever, and, and enrich those organizations with that breadth of experience. Exactly. And every good board, of course, has that breadth of experience. You, you don't usually want more than one or two lawyers on it. You want people from all walks of life. But of course, by getting out there in the community, whether it's community organizations or sports or whatever, you meet people and you meet clients. I mean, it's funny how, uh, but like, okay, I think we've all, we've, all of us who are listening to this here have met opportunists before. Mm -hmm. And you know, and you know what they're like. They're like that plastic, plastic kind of exterior, you know, oh, we're having a great conversation, but oh, there's the mayor over there. So maybe I'm going to, you know, look yeah. in to see how I can, uh, um, or, or, or they try and, 
use the idea of things like boards or, 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 or ways to give them back to the community as ways to advance themselves. And the ironic part uh, in my experience, and it sounds like this is yours too, um, I've never gone on for reasons to further myself in any way, shape or form. But mm -hmm. the, the funny part about that is the net result usually will be relationships that you build with people that create opportunities yeah, exactly. coming down the line anyway, yeah. and everybody wins anyway, you yeah. know, because you're there for the right reasons. People meet you and like you and they say, well, I want to go see you. Yeah. Um, I mean, transparency being plastic is, is never a good approach to anything and not very successful, I imagine. Yeah, I am. But yeah, people see you for who you are and it's like, well, if I'm thinking about a financial advisor, this is a good guy. So, so there it sure. is. Um, you got to be real. But that's not why you do it. You got to be real. Yes, <laughs> absolutely. Um, how long have you been a lawyer now? Oh, my God. Uh, I got my call to the bar in Manitoba in 1984. 84. So almost 50 years. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> um, no. Well, 40 years anyway. Like 40 years. 40 yeah. years. Yeah. Um, has it changed very much? The legal profession? Yeah. Uh, yeah, technology has certainly changed it. Of course. Um, you know, there was no such thing as email when I started. Yeah. Uh, even facts. So technology, the basic principles and the basic practice, no, but just the tools have uh, advanced with technology. It's made life easier. You used to have to have this big law library, either in your firm, if you were big enough, mm -hmm. or you'd go down to the local law, law library. Uh, now it's all online. Yeah. You got a computer, you can do all your research. So, you know, there's been technological advances but the basic nuts and bolts of the practice, to my knowledge, no. And it's interesting now with COVID-19, we're doing a lot of hearings uh, virtually, like over computers. Yes. Zoom, MS Teams, whatever. Yeah. And uh, I don't know if I'm allowed to say name brands on here. Say whatever you did. like. Uh, and actually, it's been a, quite a positive experience. And a lot of people are talking about, let's keep it this way instead of having to you know, fly to Vancouver, Prince George, you know, um, rural Alberta to mm -hmm. fly and then get rent a car. If we can do this examination for discovery, for instance, yep. uh, by over the computer, why not? Yeah. Uh, I haven't found any, because I'm a litigator. So you yep. have to, you know, you go to court, you go to trial, you have to judge a witness's credibility, that sort of thing. As long as you've got video, and audio, um, most of us have found we're still pretty able to judge that witness and figure out if they're telling the truth or not, Yeah, figure out how credible they are, that kind of thing. So it really hasn't hurt any in that area. Um, so yeah, I think that technology has really assisted the legal profession a lot. I, uh, I'm super, super curious about, um, I, I don't know if you're an optimist or not, but what I will say is that I really enjoy the perspective you bring to things. It's very mm -hmm. practical, problem solving, level head. Always, I've always thought that. Mm. Um, you came from the generation of uh, the sex, drugs, rock and roll, uh, and you went into the law profession. So I'm fascinated to know if you have ever been at that place where you look at the system 
and you just want to pull your hair out. You're just done. You're done with it. Like, like, like I've seen people who have lost faith in the system because of some of the ugly things that happen. And um, whenever I meet somebody who is trying to be a positive force within systems that are not perfect, mm-hmm. um, I'm very curious as to what your take is when it comes to the modern legal system and, 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 and looking back over your career, uh, how you felt over that. Well, um, for the last 10, 15 years, my practice has been strictly civil litigation. Okay. So I'm not doing any family law. I'm not doing criminal law. Okay. As a young lawyer, I did lots of those. They're a good way to get on your feet in court. Right. Always lots of opportunity yeah. for to roll your sleeves up and you have some work exactly. to do in so both it, of those things. Yeah. So and it, it's a good way to learn, you know, how to how to run a trial, how to be in a courtroom. And the criminal law system, well, both criminal and family certainly had their flaws. Like I was a young, you know, defense lawyer back in Manitoba when there was a very well-respected crown attorney there who I won't name, who got quite a few convictions, none at my expense, I'm happy to say. But but it's funny because, you know, well after I moved to British Columbia – I then heard about this guy cutting some corners, you know, hiding evidence. Doing whatever it could yes. they could to win. A prosecutor right. that just would do what it takes to win. Exactly. So yeah. he he did some wrong things in order to get his success rate up. But he was rare. And uh, most most prosecutors, both there and here, because I did the same in BC for a long time after I moved here, mm-hmm. um, are honorable, played by the rules. Um, judges are in British Columbia and Manitoba, you know, unanimously all played by the rules as Mm -hmm. far as how they ran their courtroom and whether they convicted or, or didn't. In other words, they were, none of them were on the take or anything like that. There were certain judges who were known to convict no matter what, uh, one provincial court judge in British Columbia, who we all experienced is no longer on the bench, who would routinely fall asleep for half the trial and then you sort of wake up at the end of it and say well i I accept the evidence of the crown and i convict so that was a little bit that was a little bit well you're sitting across the table from uh from a from a client (laughs) and you're like oh we just drew judge so and so like it's literally like what you see in the movies around the t oh crap we got that guy your odds are bad But that was very, very rare. Let's make a deal. I'm giving you the rare stuff. (laughs) In my experience, the justice system in both British Columbia and Manitoba works the way it should. You haven't lost faith. Oh, no. No, no, not at all. I love hearing that. Not at all. And, and of course, the more money you have, the better lawyer you can afford. Uh, So you're going to get a better defense if you have money. There's no question about it. But it's not going to buy you an acquittal if, you know, the evidence convicts you. What makes a good lawyer? What makes In your good, opinion? Uh, well, first of all, hard work. Okay. A good uh, barrister is well prepared. There's no substitute for preparation. And then that's when the natural talent kicks in. You you should be bright. You know, quick response. You know, good on your feet. Uh, personable. Uh, judges are people. They don't like people who piss them off or are arrogant. Neither do juries. I, I've had actually quite a bit of success in front of juries because. I'm not arrogant and I don't, you know, consider myself better than anybody. So juries are people, they relate to the people in front of them. So I've always been able to connect with them. So that's, 
That's good. So what makes a good lawyer? Preparedness, uh, some natural ability, you know, intelligence, yeah. quick reaction. Um, that's pretty much it. But there's no, there's no substitute for being prepared. I had my principal, because you article as a lawyer and the yeah. guy you were mentored uh, to is called your principal. And my guy was probably the best trial lawyer I've ever seen. He won the gold medal in his class when he went through law school. Wow. He was charming. I, Irish descent. Darcy McCaffrey was his name. And he had the gift to the Blarney Stone. And he was <laughs> extremely, extremely effective in the courtroom because he would connect with everybody. The judge, whoever. He, he was cross-examining people and they were his best buddy. Um, and so I learned from him that, uh, you know, that that's what makes a good barrister. Uh, what makes a good judge? Uh, the ability to listen and not make up their mind until the end. Right. Because things come out. Things, you know, trial's not over till it's over, till, you know, till the end, because things can change, you know, in a trial. Piece, one piece of evidence can come out that changes everything. So a good judge will, will stay awake. Yeah, well, <laughs> yeah, no kidding. It's a low bar with that one. Holy smokes. Uh, no, but a good, a good judge will just continue to keep an open mind and listen till the end. Yeah. And won't let the the skill of the lawyer affect their decision. They just listen to the facts. Because one thing my principal said to me when I was learning from him, he said, Bob, he said, your job is to win the winners. You're going to lose the losers. But if you work hard, every once in a while, you'll win one of the losers. So, you know, uh, and that just means that you've put in the extra time yeah. to find that evidence that turns a loser into a winner. Right. So the facts determine cases. So a good judge decides a case on the facts. And that's what most judges do. Right. That's what happens. Throughout your career, has there been, um, and I mean, I'm not asking, of course, of course, we can't break any confidences or any of that crap. Again, that's not what I'm, that's not what I'm saying. Um, when I say to highlight cases that you've been a part of, um, and you're smiling right now, uh, one or two that kind of come to mind. Yeah. Are there any uh, scenario situations? Talk about successful case? Yeah. There's the one that comes to mind first was a, a lovely lady whose husband, unfortunately, was coming home one day and saw a small fire on a bank. And there was an elderly couple who lived next to them. And they were out trying to put out this fire. So he pulled his, his truck over to the side of the road. Right. They were his next door neighbors. Yep. Ran up the bank, stepped on a live wire that was down and literally was electrocuted on the spot. Oh, God. So uh, his widow uh, came to our office here and wanted to know if there was a claim. And... She, the opinions she'd received otherwise were, no, there's a wire down. Your husband accidentally stepped on it. It's purely accidental. There's no one to blame. Um, so when I talked to her, I wondered what took down the wire. And I found out that it was a dead tree across the road and that that dead tree had been there for, oh my God, almost 10 years. And there'd been many complaints phoned into the city, oh. to the hydro company complaining about this. And there's actually, when you got into the facts of it, every hydro company patrols. And this is called the danger tree. And they're supposed to be identified and taken down. It was like clearly dead for over a decade. So I went- The danger to, tree. Yeah. So the danger <laughs> tree had come down and taken this line down. So we short 
you know, we went after the basically the hydro company who was responsible. And of course, you have to prove this stuff. So mm-hmm. as soon as I found out that it was a, this long standing dead tree that was there, I went to the local uh, forestry company mm-hmm. and hired their professional forester. It's a wonderful profession. Uh, because you get to walk around outside in the bush and stuff and <laughs> identify trees. And, you know, this one's good. This stand would be good to develop. So anyway, I asked this guy to come and look at this tree. So he came with his chainsaw. We cut a piece off it. Mm-hmm. And that became an exhibit at the trial. And he showed the judge just what a wreck this tree was. It was rotten. It had insects. So, you know, there it was. And without his... For a long time, this yes. is a... Yeah. And yeah. the one thing you learn in litigation, you usually need an expert witness. So he was our expert witness. So he made the case. He was great. Little sidebar to that is as a young guy growing up in Manitoba, who always loved being outdoors, but wanted to be a professional, I had hmm. never known there was this profession of a professional forester. Otherwise, that's probably what I'd be today. Oh, that's fine. The only downside of being a barrister is you, most of your time is in the office. Although yeah. One of the reasons I liked being a barrister is you're not always in the office. You get to go to court. You get to stand up. You get to be in the trial. And yeah. that's kind of You like court. Fun. Yeah, I like that. That's yeah. I always, from the day I got out of law school, I knew I wanted to be a barrister. I wanted to do trials. Yeah. So that's a little, to me, that's more fun than just being in the office all the time. Uh, I can see that. Um, yeah. I'm that guy too. Um, so that that's one. And that's a that's a good one. That's a good one. And you ended up giving some. Uh, um, you obviously can't replace. You know, when you lose oh. a loved one or something like that, but you can mm. sure make the healing a lot easier. Yes. Um, by putting them in a in a spot where there's there's some more um, comfort there, where they're not. You know, the wolf's not at the door. Yes. Uh, you know, you have to just try and heal while you're trying to adapt so monetary damages can never ever replace what's been lost all no. you can do is try to help a bit with financial compensation but yeah i um lawyers have a have a have a stereotype and it's not just lawyers that do it's it's i think about um i think about firefighters and the stereotypes they have about the um you know they're in the fire hall cooking chili for each other or they're not doing anything they're just wiping off the truck or i think mm. of you know the stereotypes that doctors get or things like that and and some of our favorite tv shows are all based around um around these things well lawyers of course are are, are no different uh <laughs> How has that been for you in in the idea of I'm a lawyer and then people, oh, okay, making kind of snap judgments based on those Mm -hmm. stereotypes and things like that. Yeah. Um, How is how how is that? How have you rectified that in your head? Well, just not to be that TV stereotype lawyer. And and they do exist. I mean, the TV stereotypes are extreme. But there are those people. But, you know, most most lawyers are just normal people. Who, that's the profession they happen to pick. They're, most of them are nice people. Yeah. Uh, so you just be yourself. You can't worry about the stereotype. You just have to be yourself. In being yourself for all those years, uh, highs and lows? Yeah, of course. Um, you know, uh, I and we've never talked about this, what I'm about to kind of uh, ask you about. Um, but... I love picking the brain of people who I respect. And I think I've done a pretty good job of building the case as to why I respect you as we've talked up to this point. Um, I think that the next big uh, medical crisis 
Uh, we're relying a lot on technology for, for things like, I think about when my dad had his heart attack when he was 42. Well, how, how antiquated that was, you know, 20 some odd years ago. Mm. That was an antiquated uh, way of dealing with a heart attack now. Technology has helped so much when it comes to that. Um, we're focusing on mental health. Mm. Uh, you're a high-powered professional, mm. dealing with a lot of high-powered professionals. Um, you've seen a lot of shit when it comes to mental health stuff mm-hmm. along the way. Uh, personally, maybe uh, we haven't talked about it, but but you've seen it around with people around you. And and I, I'm curious as to how things have evolved as you've seen them. Are there th- are there words of wisdom or things that you've picked up along the way that you would kind of um, throw out there to other professionals who are maybe going after it? But having that sort of empty feeling about what life really is and and and, and that kind of stuff, mm-hmm. um, my generation's running smack dab into that right now. People who don't know what their purpose is and why am I doing what I'm doing and shit like that. I'm just curious. As I've said these kind of par- these paragraphs here, has it what's come into your head as I've well? Uh, so just to pick up your last comment, I think it personally from what I've seen happen, I think it happens a lot with people in their 40s. Mm-hmm. It's just that period of life where you done this for for long and it's like well why am i doing this and why am i doing anything why you know uh, what am i really getting out of life um i've certainly seen it in the legal profession i've had a lawyer who was practicing here uh shortly after i moved here actually blow his brains out in his office um because of personal situation and financial um i've seen the whole spectrum you know that's the extremist absolutely uh, the, the extreme mm-hmm. example but you know lawyers where depression has been a part of their life and i think the main thing is to recognize it acknowledge it and deal with it recognize it acknowledge it and deal with yeah, it. yeah that's the key because as a successful person you're i think you're more likely to deny it well i i mean i've been a success for how many 20 odd years or whatever, let's say you're in your forties. I've always done well as a kid. I've always been successful. Now, while I'm, all of a sudden I'm depressed and I'm doubting myself, this can't be. So I'll just deny it. Um, I think it's really important to acknowledge it because you can usually get some help in my experience. Mm-hmm. Um, and I actually, I'm going to just acknowledge, I went through a period of myself of, feeling really low because there was just pressures on me at the time. And I was lucky enough to have a partner who was older than me who said, Bob, you're just sitting there at your desk staring into space. There's something going on with you. Mm -hmm. And I said, yeah, I had to acknowledge it. When I guess the two things come to mind from that is, first of all, somebody else recognized it. And he told me he'd gone through it. He said, I know exactly what you're going through because I've been there, done that. He said, the key is you just got to deal with it right now. And I did. So I uh, saw my doctor. He referred me to somebody, got me on some medication for a year or so, mm-hmm. uh, took a couple of months off work and got right back in the saddle. And during that time, I found out about Abraham Lincoln, who suffered severe depression his whole life. Luckily, I never went through anything severe and was mild enough to be not too difficult to deal with. And yeah. But the key there was this guy who I respected who recognized it and got me to deal with it. But for several years, I had up on my fridge a saying that Abe Lincoln come, came up with that I think helped him through life, which is, um, you're as happy as you make up your mind to be. I love that expression. I just love that expression. because Obviously, you need help. 
you can't just do it yourself. But yeah. the the key to allowing that help, in my experience, to get you back in the saddle was just your own attitude towards yourself. Yes. All those reasons why the world has respected you till now and you've respected yourself till now are valid. It's only you who are suddenly doubting yourself. Right. And so when you can get some help getting through that and then come back to, hey, actually, I'm not so bad after all. I've yeah. got a lot going for me. And then you get back to that self-respect, I guess is the word. Yeah. If you can you get some help to get back your self-respect and then just decide that you're going to be as happy as you make up your mind to be, then you can do it. Because I'm as I age, I can tell you that I get happier all the time. Yeah? Yeah. And you asked me to actually to think about what I would say to my younger self. I did. And uh, so I'm going to answer that right now because it awesome. kind of leads to it. I think it's a great question and I, I'm fascinated by the answer. Yeah. And the answer to me from my life experience is just chill. Like just don't take things so seriously. Yeah. You know, the, the older I get, the more I'm able to just put things in perspective and just, you know, like don't sweat the small stuff, that little expression. Yeah. That's a really meaningful expression that we hear, but if you really take it to heart and, and you just just don't sweat the small stuff. And, and I would just say to my younger self, Bob, just chill. So in <laughs> practical terms, in other words, if you don't get upset about something that really isn't crucial to your life, to your kid's life, to you and your wife's relationship, if it's really not that big a deal, if you step back and look at it, yeah. And you see it for not that big a deal, then you don't have to get upset about it. You don't have to worry about it. You don't have to have an argument about it. You can just chill and get on with it. I think that's what's happening, though. So many times uh, people, um, when that pressure kicks in and and they, they they it's like they zoom in on it like this is the this little detail of this is is, is the most important thing in the entire world. Mm -hmm. When at the end of the day, when you think about I think about shit that I've been upset about, you know, two or three years ago that I haven't even thought about. For, like, it's not even a, it's not even an issue at all. There you go. But at that moment though, it mm -hmm. seems like it's the only issue. It seems right. like that's all there is. So that's the key is just, you know, step back and, and, and look at, okay, now what, you know, the old count to 10, but you can't just count to 10. You got to actually step outside yourself and say, no, is this really worth getting worked up about? Because right. most things aren't, you know, just most things aren't. If there are some important things, of course, yeah. but most things just aren't worth getting worked up about. And if you don't get worked up about them, you're happier. Everybody around you is happier. Your kids, your wife, everybody's happier because there's one less thing to get upset about. And you don't have to worry about getting yourself in a situation where you got to hire somebody like you to get you <laughs> to help you deal with some That's stuff. Right. Um, That's right. We talked about your community service and I want to, I, I told you this is going to go fast. We're moving over to the close now. So if okay. there's anything that you've thought of that, you know what he changed is all about. It's about a place where men can be there for other men, resources, all that kind of stuff. And, and um, so as we kind of move to the, to the end, if there are things that you want to slip in, uh, we can slip them in, but I do want to go back to the community service stuff. Okay. Um, and I want to talk about like the bridge, for example, you sat on that board for how long for, for so what is the bridge real quick? What is, what is the bridge exactly? And, 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 and you sat on that board for three decades, right? 
35 years. 35 years. So, as I said to the executive director when I told her I was leaving, I said, I think I might have set some sort of record. <laughs> um, but my wife says that 35 years is long enough. Yeah. But, you know, they, I, I enjoyed every one of those years on that organization because it grew from a small counseling organization right. when I first joined the board to a very large multi-million dollar organization that now does its original purpose, which is counseling, you know, youth, kids, um, families in need, parents. Mm -hmm. But now there's also a lot of training courses to try to avoid them being in need. Um, some uh, residential programs and some um, drug and alcohol addiction uh, mm -hmm. programs or removing drug and alcohol drug and alcohol addiction. And that's the latest push for the bridge right now, yeah. juvenile addiction, for which there's very few resources. And they've just actually opened a 10-bed facility, uh, thank God, because the last time we got to do that, which was about 10 years ago with some federal funding that ran out after two years, it was very, very successful. And I'm sure that this one will be successful again. But that's their current private fundraising pitch. So yeah. I'm going to make that fundraising pitch on behalf of the bridge right now is if if you want to donate your money to something worthwhile, the bridge youth and family services could use that money for youth addiction services. Um, you're a man that believes, uh, and you're a lawyer, you're a lawyer. Uh, you believe treatment is the, is the key. Um, I believe prevention is the key. Okay. I think treatment is important, but the, there's no question. Prevention is the key. Prevention is the key. Yeah. And are we going back to awesome. the start? The best way to prevent is through education? Uh, yeah. Well, uh, actually, it takes me back to something I wanted to get across, which is because we've got four children, as you know. Yeah. Mike is the oldest. Mm -hmm. uh, Mike's a wonderful, wonderful guy. He's got the biggest heart ever. And yep. he's been that way since he was little boy mm. and luckily all four of our children are very nice people yeah. big hearts considerate and what i've learned as a parent the the two important things you have to give your kids and i think if all kids had this then they wouldn't need the bridge number mm. one is love your kids have to feel loved not just words they have to know that they're loved yeah because if you know you're loved you can do well in life you have the confidence to do well I think the other, the second thing you have to do for your kids is make them responsible for themselves. You can't give them everything. Uh, yeah. They have to know what it takes to get out there and earn something and do it because that's also what gives them the confidence to succeed. I mean, you're successful. To me, the keys to success are confidence, the ability to overcome obstacles. Yeah. Um, which you've learned to do since you were a child, if yep. you were lucky and your parents did that for you. Yeah. And the third thing, of course, is keep your integrity, keep your principles, never sell out your principles for the sake of success. But yes. if you give a child love and responsibility, they're going to turn out well. I, uh, I appreciate that perspective very much. And, uh, and I can not only vouch, but like, I mean, you know, Mikey's my best friend and, 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 and those girls are just uh, phenomenal. I love you. All your kids are unbelievable. Thanks. And that I know that makes you beam. I just appreciate uh, very, very much your perspective on things. Bob, I thank you for taking time out of your, 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 your busy schedule. Yeah, we're in COVID, but you're still busy. Mm -hmm. And I do take time. I appreciate you taking time out of your day to do this. Um, thank you for being a cheerleader of he changed it from the start. 
And thank you for being the example personally to me and for sharing some of that with uh, with our viewers and listeners today. I really appreciate you taking time to be part of HeCast today. Thanks to He Changed It for doing this. I think it's great what you guys are doing. Oh, you and Candy. Oh, hey, man. Like I say, I, 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 I'm I a broken record and the crew hates it when I continually say this because I'm a broken record. Uh, I get the fun part. You know, yeah. she and her and her partners founded this thing and they're building this thing and, and are, are going through all the, the tunnels and the the the, uh, the valleys and the mountaintops of building a company. I get to do the fun stuff. Yeah. I get to run the podcast and, and have conversations like this. This is the easy job. I'm sure you're helping people. Pretty sure you are. <laughs> Thank you for that. Um, there it is. They go by so quickly. Uh, and I'm glad that they do because it just shows uh, how. Uh, insightful, entertaining, hopefully, um, that these conversations can be. Uh, if you haven't downloaded He Changed It yet, it's available in both stores. New features are being added all the time. And uh, come join us on this He Changed It journey. You're still considered an alpha consumer if you come in at this point. We're just getting started. We're also just getting started. This first 50 some odd episodes of, of HeCast have been a fantastic experience. Thank you for joining us, whether it's your first one or your 50th one. Thank you for being part of HeCast. Um, for HeCast, the official podcast of He Changed It, my name is Mike Chisholm. Go change something. <laughs>